This week's spotlight is firmly focused on China, and in particular, the Daigos, which literally translated means buying on behalf of. And you've probably seen them around in the supermarkets, especially, or perhaps even chemist warehouse buying vitamins. And they've been filling up supermarket trolleys with tins of baby powder in particular. But how does the practice work? And how big is the demand? What are they buying? And where is this going? What impact is it having on Australian manufacturers? The answers I got were pretty astounding. Forget Uber and Airbnb, Daigo's are a peer-to-peer business that's really going places and it has a lot of growth left in it. So I started my conversation with Livia Wong, Managing Director of Australia for Access Brand Management, to find out how many Daigo's there are in Australia. There are around 40,000 to 60,000 Daigo's in Australia. They all have a different sizes, they have a different business models and they they uh, they have a different volumes, but in general that's the individuals we have as a number around forty to sixty thousand in Sydney and Australia. And what what do they do exactly? Uh, so they help their end consumers or their family and friends from China to source the products from Australian channel and ship the products back to them. Well so where, but where do they, they shop in just Australian supermarkets, do they? either for them or to go to the kit stores or uh, Daigo stores in Australia. There are around 1,500 Daigo stores in Australia to facilitate the needs from Daigo. So, so tell, describe a Daigo store to me. What is, what is that? So Daigo stores, sometimes we call them gift stores. They evolved from the souvenir stores for tourists before, but now they focus on Daigo uh, service oriented. So those gift stores or Daigo stores will sell or stocking a lot of products which Daigo needs. So Daigo don't need to go to supermarket and try to fight for infant formula. They can just source the products from their local areas from the Daigo store. So how many parcels are being sent back to Australia, to, to China from Australia? So from Australia and New Zealand alone, I use New Zealand and Australia together because they usually will uh, be combined from the logistic point of view. So it's around fifty to 60,000 parcels a day. 50, sorry, say that again. 50, 50, how many? 50,000 to 60,000 per day. Per day? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a big business. Goodness gracious. Mm. And who? Um, <laughs> that's incredible. Who's taking them back? What's the what's the supply chain for that? Mm, so the logistics company behind Australian Post is very small portion in this game. Uh, other logistics companies like uh, WE, like a, a lot of logistics companies around around twenty of them facilitate uh, the sh- the shipping. Um, Right. Um, requirements from the channel. And so um, what happens to these parcels at the other end? Who do they get sent to and then what, what, what is done with them? End consumer. End consumer. End consumer? Straight away. End consumer. Right. So they're kind of um, uh, informal. They don't go into stores in, in China. No, not necessary. Some of the parcels, of course, go to the stores. They can resell it. But the majority of the time, is whoever ordered, they were sent to the end consumer straight away. So um, 
What sort of uh, dollar value are we talking about? Fifty, sixty thousand dollars, thousand parcels per day. What sort of, what sort of turnover are we talking here? Uh, really depends because there is a limitation um, on certain categories per parcel can contain. So they sometimes they have to divide the parcel into smaller parcels instead of shipping a whole parcel that kind of thing. Uh, but um, individual parcels for this will probably roughly around sixty ocean dollars to one hundred twenty depends. And what are the main products? There's obviously infant formula is a big product, but what are the other products that are being sold in the Dagu channel? Uh, supplements, health care products. Uh, skincare products um, um, and the food, but I'm I'm talking about food that are not that kind of the water and uh, and the flour those kind of thing. It's more like a superfood, uh, like a powder or something like that. Um, that's the food, and also some of them are akbuts. Some of them are what? Sorry. Um, Arc boots. <laughs> oh, arc boots. Oh, arc boots. Yeah, boots. <laughs> right. It's a big volume now. It's right. a winter in China. Mm. So, um, and what uh, what do Chinese people find appealing about Australian products? Um, the personality of Chinese uh, of, of Australian products are very aligned. It's natural. It's clean. Um, it's safe especially for a modern baby product, it's, it's quality. It's a good quality. Um, do you think that the fact that this is very informal w- means that it won't last very long or will it last a long time? I think the model and the, the way they operate their business will have to be changed. Uh, they, have, they have to be very legit and that's also something we keep encouraging or either resellers or the diagos to um, to to start becoming working with us, so they can be legit and uh, it's a proper registered business operation. Um, however, because of the demand in China is so big, they only trust um, family and friends in Australia. Even travelers, they will come here to to grab the products and um, bring together the products back to home, right? So the, the channel will always be sustainable, but the way they operate the business will be changed. Right. So the, the, but, the, but what you might call the usual supply chain process of large distributors uh, buying, mm. this is as occurs when, when Australian uh, manufacturers export to Europe or America, they have go through big distributors and so on. That's, um, that isn't necessarily going to apply in China, that the... That the, no. China, the Chinese it's distribution come harder in that way to start with. Right, but but uh, the the decentralised approach of um, mm. distribution that's currently applying here will continue. Do you think, even though even if they do start to become more legitimate? Yes, it will continue. And perhaps grow further. Oh, definitely. The demand from China is growing. So it's not how the distribution channel by themselves defines whether the industry will grow or not. It depends on whether Chinese consumer is still in favor of the Australian products. It looks like we'll still be very positive and um, optimistic at the moment with the trend. As long as the demand is there, the whole industry will grow.
but the way they ship the products and they ship the products will be changed. That's why I try to um, try to try to emphasize. This is not something you need to take a flight and go to China try to find someone you can trust. It's a group of the people in Oshu that endorse your brand, trust you, have the same culture. Well, maybe it's slightly different, but understand the culture of Australia. And that they endorse your brand, help you to sell. This is such a great resource for Australia and the New Zealand business. And it's, and, it's, and, uh, it's, and it's really all about trust, it sounds like. Exactly, yeah. And uh, they are a great channel to start your brand awareness. At the same time, if your brand grow your awareness to a stage, you may need a bigger operators like a distributors, um, or the, 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 the Alibaba platforms and the Timo global platforms. Um, but those sales will be amplified like a double eleven on the platform. But to start with, cycle is a really important channel for them to tap into. David Gulassi is a key opinion leader. He's based in Inner Mongolia in China. Now, he was in Australia recently to speak at an Alibaba business expo. So I pinned him down to see what the Taijo phenomenon looks like from the Chinese end. From that end, it's really annoying. <laughs> Let me tell you why. I, I have to tell you why. So there's WeChat. WeChat is a huge uh, chat platform, right? Now, if, if you have WeChat, you probably have about 30 people on there that are posting stuff. Of, of like Aussie products or any product and they're just like taking pictures in a supermarket and they're covering up the price because they don't want you know them to know how much it costs and then they add money on top it's really annoying for a lot of Chinese people but they know they know that they can get the product quickly you know what I mean so it's not it's not something they want to do Daigo from the Chinese end is not something they, they don't want to buy it from a Daigo seller they don't but they have to because sometimes their price point is actually cheaper than some of the other guys. You know what I mean? No, I don't. I mean, so so is it cheaper sometimes for the sometimes yes for yeah. the for the product to have been bought in a supermarket in Australia and then shipped over for a margin uh, than the the manufacturer selling it direct? Yes, yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes the manufacturer has a premium price on a on the Chinese market, um, and there's these taxes and. You know, they've got lots and lots of taxes. Like the Chinese government puts lots of taxes on everything, right? Um, and basically, you know, you've got, you got the guy trying to sell the product, you know, into the Chinese market. Then the government puts more tax on top. Then the consumer's left with, you know, a, something that would normally cost 10 bucks in Australia. They're paying 25 for it, you know? It's very normal. But those Daigo guys, they go and buy it for 10 bucks and they add five. Then they charge you another four bucks for delivery. Okay, and it's still cheaper than buying direct in China. And so, does the Daigu stuff come in under the radar, as it were? So, so virtually illegally? Yeah, it does. I think it does, because um, they bring it in their bags, their suitcases. They bring it along with these uh, Chinese students returning home. They mail it in the post. I mean, it's it's not an, an official business, obviously, right? And and can the consumer? Uh, at the Chinese end, distinguish between sort of official manufacturer sold products and Daigu products. And I mean, do they sit alongside each other in supermarkets, or or you can do you know that you're buying a Daigu product? Well, a Daigu product is a product from the supermarket, so it is the no, same but the, su- the supermarket in China. Oh no, you 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 can tell because in China they 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 stick these permanent stickers on all these foreign products. 
um, which basically is like, you know, the stickers for the ingredients, um, the official stamp from the government saying that this is an official product legally brought in to China. This applies to things like milk powder because milk powder is a big dangerous thing in China because there's so many fake, you know, fake milk powders in China. So that stamp, you know, kind of like makes it legitimate. But the Daegu products don't have anything like that. They're just like you go to the supermarket and there's nothing on them. It's just a, a normal tin. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's a tin. So, but it's a tin with Bellamy's say brand on it or A2 milk brand on it, and I presume the people in China trust that brand, that that yeah. that labelling. Yeah, that's right. Well, remember this though: what, they buy Daegu from people they know. They don't buy Daegu things from people they don't know. So it's always through some form of like a friend or social media platform where they follow a blog and the blogger says, you know, it's it, so they already trust the blogger. So if the blogger says, hey, buy this product, it's good, they'll buy it. You know what I mean? So sometimes they don't actually know the Aussie product because there's no Chinese written on there. You know what I mean? But when the products are in the supermarkets in China on the shelves, they've actually got everything in Chinese because they make that product for the Chinese market. So, so the labeling is all in Chinese as well, you know? And Chinese consumers don't like that. Oh, they prefer they, like they, they prefer English labelling. Yeah, they prefer hundred percent foreign, hundred percent. Well, that's very interesting. So it means that um, uh, it's possible that the the manufacturers bringing in uh, Chinese labelled products and selling them on the shelves are going to get outsold by the Daegu products that have got English labelling on them. That's true. It's happening at the moment, and you know where it's happening. I, I've I've seen it like working in the in the in the kind of like you know the product space. I've been promoting lots of Aussie brands, and I've heard this from a lot of our, those you know bosses and those the, the people working at those companies. Actually, what's going on is the people working for those companies get a discount to buy that product, right? So, for example, they get a twenty percent discount on on Barnett's biscuits, for example. I'm just throwing it out there, and then um, they you know the the consumers not going to pay, obviously, they're not going to charge them 20% less. They're going to add 15% on top, right? And then the consumer's getting it, you know, still 5% cheaper than even buying it in Australia sometimes or saying to get it delivered. It's happening really, really, a lot recently, actually. And it's actually hurting a lot of people. It's hurting the, it's hurting the manufacturers. It's hurting the supermarkets. It's hurting Aussies because now a lot of, I've got a lot of friends that, New mums, new dads, they can't buy milk powder because they're all sold, you know? But it sounds like if, um, if the Chinese consumers prefer English-labeled products, then the Daigu system uh, has a long way to go. It's, there's no way that it's going to end soon. Yeah, no, trust me, it's nowhere near ending. It's going to develop, then there's probably going to be people developing apps and Daigu apps and Daigu platforms and this and that. They're going to find a way to make it legal because there's no choice. You've got to go with the, you know, what the consumers want, right? And when, when Chinese consumers build a trend, it's very hard to go against it, very difficult because there's so many of them, you know? But it's interesting. If people are bringing them in in their supermarket, the products in in their supermarket, the super, sorry, if people are bringing the products in in their suitcases and all that stuff, then obviously each individual Daigu is not a high-volume um, distributor. But I guess the thing is that there's, no, there's, tens of, there's tens of thousands of them. Well, yeah, across the globe, millions. In Australia, tens of thousands. Right. 
That's exactly right. So you don't need one person to be able to sell, you know, 500 formulas. They just need five, but then you need another thousand of them. And then that's it. That's pretty much the same as a local distributor. So it's interesting because because they've they're buying the products of the manufacturers. They're just having to buy them somewhere else. So the manufacturers make the sale. I suppose what they're doing is disrupting the supply chain. Yeah, they are. It is. It is. They are disrupting the, the supply chain actually. And you know, there's unfortunately there's nothing you can do about it. Even if you change the laws, you can't really change the laws to say, look, you're not allowed to take anything to China. That's that's not fair. Obviously, not everyone is a not every Chinese person is a Daigu Daigo salesperson, obviously, right? So it's hard to differentiate the difference between, you know, the, the, those salespeople and the, the ordinary Chinese consumer. And what about the Australian manufacturers? Well, there's a few of them that are really benefiting from Daigo's. One of them is A2 Milk Company. I spoke to Peter Nathan, who's A2's Asia-Pacific CEO, so he's directly in charge of this channel, to find out how many of their sales go through the Daigo's. Do you actually know how much of your sales go through Daigo's? We don't know precisely what percentage of our sales go through. We, we, have, a, uh, we have a reasonable estimate based on uh, some research. Clearly, the product which is bought at retail, we can't track it precisely, uh, but, but based on other research methodologies, we have a reasonable understanding. What do you reckon it is? That is a number we don't uh, divulge. So we, uh, that, that's sort of a, uh, that, that we, we, as I said, we do have an understanding, which is, look, it is a large part of our business. We make no, uh, no, no, we certainly don't hide that fact, but we don't give a precise figure in terms of what it is, but it is, it is certainly a large percentage of our business. Can you give us a sense of the growth rate of it? Look, the, gro- the growth rate is is in keeping with, uh, with with our broad growth. So we had we grew we grew ninety about ninety percent in volume last year, uh, and that that is indicative of the uh, the Diaga growth is, is is certainly matching that. Is what you're saying? That, quite yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Is, is is what you're saying that the Diaga growth is actually driving the growth most of the growth you're getting? Look, it, it's 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 driving. It certainly is driving overall brand growth, um, and it's consistent with the rest of our channel growth. So we're 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 present in three channels. Uh, so that's mother and baby stores, um, cross border e-commerce, and Daigo. And Daigo is is um, yeah, it's, it's fair to say it's the largest part of that business, and is, is is a driver of our growth, and is growing at least as strongly as the rest of those channels. And we, we see it uh, having strong growth potential moving forward. So um, I'm just wondering, you know, as you say, it's a, in the retail channel, it's difficult to measure and difficult to control, I imagine. I wonder what, how you're thinking about the future of this channel of, of sales and how you might sort of get more control of it. We, we believe we do have, um, we, we do have good control of it uh, in, in the way we manage, uh, manage our business. So therefore, yeah, we, we do have very good knowledge of, of inventory. We do have um, yeah very good knowledge of, of pricing. And if you look at our any any measurement of our in retail pricing via yeah WeChat analysis demonstrates that we do have consistency in pricing. So therefore, we don't subscribe to the view that you do need to control quote unquote Daigo. You you can actually manage it. I think is a better way of putting it rather than um, having absolute control. But I think that's also largely uh, the case in any relationship with retailers, there's limitations in terms of what you can do with price management, etc. Clearly, uh, by yeah, with, with OCCC, 
regulation with normal retail relationships, and that that is the same with with Daigu. So we we don't see it as being significantly different, um, but we do see it as having some inherent benefits as well. I'm wondering whether you think that the um, the growth of specialist Daigo stores, I mean, there's even a, a listed company now with a chain of stores, as you know, I'm sure, um, and, you know, a whole lot of new stores opening up. Do you think that that's something you'd like to encourage? We, we have, uh, we, we, we clearly don't, uh, you know, we, we, we clearly benefit from that. Uh, we don't see that as a primary source of, of uh Fulfillment in China, but that is that is part of it. Uh, so, so a lot of the direct pick and pack shipments that occur will, will be the core part of the, um, the the movement of product across. Uh, but that's all part of the the, the growth of Daigu. But you know, from our point of view, we see Daigu as being a channel which will continue as a viable channel going forward. It's a channel which is taxed, uh, so it's got an inspection regime. It's also they got a very significant demand given the the, the counterfeit perception that does exist by Chinese consumers on product which is transacted via either cross-border e-commerce or via um, traditional bricks and mortar that can be penetrated via counterfeit. Daigu uh, cannot. So on that basis, uh, it, it has a genuine underlying demand which, which is in, in, in keeping with the fact that it's a, the, the, the regulator has, has given no signal that it wants to uh, clamp it. Uh, we see it as being a meaningful channel moving forward. Do you think there's something fundamental going on here in retail? I mean, obviously, to some extent, the Daigu channel is a, is a sort of a peer-to-peer channel, as it were. I mean, a bit like Uber and Airbnb in a way. I mean, uh, where where individuals are, uh, are picking up stuff and individuals are, in a sense, creating the supply chain. Um, do you think this is a trend that could uh, extend beyond um, baby formula and the products that uh, are currently going on? I don't look. I don't think it's likely to to grow to the extent of infant formula and some of the other um, some some of the other categories associated with food. Uh, on the basis that there, there are, one of the key drivers is is, is counterfeit perception, uh, which, which is a unique Chinese phenomenon. So on that basis, um, yeah, I, I would see it as something which is more likely to have significant um, overweight indexing in in China, uh, as and overweight overweight indexing in food-related categories which have the capacity to be transported uh, without without having any uh, fresh element. So there's no, there's no cold chain. So it's easy to train you know, a product which is a high value and and relatively cost-effective to freight. I think you've got to have those dynamics to make it effective. So I personally don't see it as being sort of a broad phenomenon uh, that, that will necessarily take off in categories other than the ones we talked about. And there's even an Australian listed company that's focused on supplying digos in Australia. It's called AU Make or Our Make. Listed on the ASX, its code is AU8, figure eight. I called up their executive chairman, Kiong Chang, to find out how the business operates and how they're going. We have five uh, existing stores around Sydney. Um, we're looking to open a, a store in the Sydney CBD, or just opposite Town Hall, actually, um, in a couple of weeks, and uh, followed soon soon after by another store in uh, Haymarket and um, and one in Auburn. So, w- what are you selling in the stores? We're selling uh, a lot of the popular products that for the Chinese. So, uh, you know, the calories are your know, baby products. Uh, obviously, infant formula is, is a big component of that. Uh, skincare, cosmetics, and um, also 
nutrition nutritional products like vitamins. So you're you're a, a specialist Daigu supermarket, is that correct? Yeah, I th- I think the the way that we we like to think about ourselves is that we uh, yeah we're we're looking to provide the product that the Chinese um, are really interested in, so uh, they can come to us and um, find new products, uh, the existing products they also really like, and we we're able to also um, you know pack and deliver these products for them back to China or wherever they like it to go, um, and we also provide the payments. That they're used to, you know, WeChat, Alipay, UnionPay, um, payment processes like that. Oh, so you're you're a full service provider to Daigu's, Daigu. Um, yeah, shop. full service provider, Alan. So you know, we we um, at the moment, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of you know, media and I suppose you know public perception out there uh, that Daigo um, create you know a, a uncertain you know, situations in, in some of the major retailers where products may not be available, et cetera. Um, what, what, we, what we believe is that, that it's, it's basically the supply chain not really uh, working. A lot of these uh, major retailers aren't, aren't geared up to, to cope with the demand, the huge demand out of China. So you have these situations where, you know, uh, stock is limited and um, certain products are, are capped and you've, you've still got this demand. So what AUMAC is trying to do is just trying to bridge that gap between the, the supplier and the end consumer. Um, our customers have come to us and deal with us directly and in, one, in, in a lot of ways be able to deal with the supplier also in, in, um, in a very direct manner. So I, I've seen them in their local supermarket, Daigo's um, uh, filling up the trolley with baby formula and the, um, the supermarket manager telling them to put it all back because they're going to run out. Yeah, so I mean that's that's uh, that's a very unfortunate situation, and um, and again, like I said, because the demand is so great uh, coming out of China, they've just, they've just you know, as as is well known, uh, their one-child policy has um, has changed. Um, there will be more more babies born in China, and um, the demand for formula is just so great. Um, it, it's it's something that you know that AU make is working very closely with the with the brands on. And um, we'll we'll be in a position to speak about that um, in in the in the coming future. So, how much of your uh, turnover or your store is made up of baby formula? At the moment, we we about thirty percent, thirty to forty percent, depending on the seasonality uh, of our turnover, is made up of uh, of baby formula. And what what that why why that's so interesting for our business is that with, with formula, it's viewed as a staple as a staple uh, food. So, you know, it's, it's bread, milk and, and infant formula for our, for our customers. So um, that draws a lot of people to our stores and the more stable that supply chain can be and the better the pricing that we can achieve um, from a business point of view, it lets, once those customers are, are in our stores or dealing with our store managers, they, they inevitably uh, look at other things that we're selling because, you know, the Daigo, uh, some of them are actually are profit driven. Some of them are not. So they're working professionals. Uh, they've got great jobs, great careers, but they've still got friends and family that ask for, for ask them to to send and purchase products on their behalf back in China. So, you know, when when what what we're trying to to provide is um, more choice and newer products for the Daigo to to have a look at because 
it, you know, the existing brands, um, they're very well known and, uh, you know, profit margins as, as these things go, as markets mature, profit, profit margins tend to decline. So it's important for, for the system for the ecosystem to actually have these new products in there, which, uh, Suppliers are, suppliers are very interested to to demonstrate to to um, us and to our customers, and uh, equally the the DAIGO also very interested to see what else is uh, new and interesting that they can provide to their friends and family back home in China. So, are you buying directly from manufacturers or from wholesalers? We are we are at the moment uh, purchasing directly from uh, suppliers. So, a lot of these suppliers, Alan, will have a um, uh, a wholesaler distributor that they were elect to for them to for us to use, but in essence, we we work very closely with the supplier. They they know exactly how much uh, we're buying, uh, of what products, and they're very keen to make sure that the the channels that we're selling to are, are in some way regulated. And that's a very um, important point for suppliers. Um, a lot of the operators in the dagger industry tend to be somewhere removed, so they may have two or three different parties in between. Where we deal directly with suppliers, so we can give them the information that they want about where their products are going. So, so how far do you think this Daigu phenomenon can go? I mean, it it's, it feels like it is, and it is to some extent, a sort of an ad hoc thing that sprung out of nowhere, and it's hard to mm. imagine it, you know, becoming a kind of a formal and continuing part of, you know, a part of commerce between Australia and China, but. But is that the wrong way to look at it? I mean, does it does it have a yeah? That, that's a, that's, a, that's a great that's a great question, Alan. And um, you know, for for people from the outside or people who may not be aware of of just how entrenched this is in in Chinese society, what I what I when when people ask me this question, well, how I respond is that the Daigo Daigo you people don't wake up being a Daigo. Uh, the, you know, it's something as soon as a friend or family member asks ask you to buy products for them and to send it back home to them. Wherever you are in the world, whether it's Australia, Europe, US, uh, you affect, you even affect become a, a Daigo, but Daigo in, for instance, in Europe, buying luxury products and sending it back home uh, to China, it's been going for a couple of decades. Um, in Australia, it's relatively new. Uh, the 2014 is when it really took off because of uh, because of WeChat essentially uh, that that made the transactions very very seamless and communication very very fast. But look, we Daigo, the the issues that that stem from trust, um, legitimacy of product, gen, um, making genuine, uh, sorry, making products genuine, that's very very important to the Chinese consumer. The Daigo. Uh, channel is one of the most important ways for that to to eventuate so there are other ways to get to the chinese market but chinese are very very relationship focused so if if the relationship is there they will trust you in this in essence to buy a product that they will eventually take themselves or provide to their child so something that's really important and the daigo you know the, the other question that i get asked a lot is how many daigo there are in australia and our response to that is that Essentially, all mainland Chinese living in Australia, whether they make a profit from being a Daigo or not, if, if they are asked to purchase product, which the high majority are, um, if they are asked to buy a product to send back home, they are Daigo. And we, uh, we don't believe that that trend is, uh, is going to cease anytime soon. In fact, given the precedent globally, um, it's going for a long, long time. 
Finally, can you tell us what your margin is? I mean, is it better than a supermarket? Yes, our margins are, are pretty good. We, um, we, we're working through that now and it's, it will change because we, we are uh, listed and we do have extra financial capacity. So um, we, we view ourselves as, as not so much a supermarket, but, but probably more in a niche uh, retailing space. And you know, the other thing, Alan, that, that I haven't talked about in during during this chat is that, um, and which we're very very focused on, is that we're not we're not there just to to provide you know the retail service and to take the gross margin, but because we're a listed company, and similar to some of our peers, we're actually able to to acquire, and uh, and and look to take ownership of certain brands which we believe are popular in China, and um, you'll see that coming out. In the next uh, in the next coming months, so, so that is we is have that, two uh, parts to our business. Is is that why you listed so that you've got some capital to make acquisitions? Yes, that's right. So we're we're looking to acquire uh, brands because in, in effect, you know, the brand is the most important thing with the Chinese, and we believe that because of our retail store presence, you know, we we will be expanding out of Sydney into Brisbane, Melbourne, Gold Coast, places where the Chinese like to visit. Um, we we think that we are able to actually limit test a lot of the a lot of these products that we believe are popular. So if one takes off, um, we will have the opportunity to be able to acquire that brand. And the brand, as you know, with some of the peers uh, are extremely well valued by the share market. We we think we can do many uh, many of these brands. So I think from an investment point of view, you've got uh, the retail side of our business where our margins are improving and our turnover will be improving. Uh, you have the the upside that comes from exposure to the ownership of the brand, and also we we speak a lot about the Daigo, Alan, but we don't. Uh, there's there's not as much education, and I think that it will it will develop. But the 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 power of the Chinese tourists and their ability to to also um, make certain products popular and their propensity to spend while they're here in Australia is really interesting. A big part of the success of Daigo's is the Australian brand, which is seen as clean and green. Who better to give that stamp of approval than Ian Harrison, the CEO of the Australian Made Campaign? I started off by asking Ian how much money was being made out of the Australian Made logo. Well, I couldn't be precise about that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of companies in Australia, Alan, that aren't even precise about the amount of product that gets exported out of this country, and even companies as of the scale of Blackmores and Swiss and they knew that the sales had gone up enormously and they knew they had direct channels into some of the export markets and let's deal with China but they did not know how much was being bought by members of the Daigu here in Australia and privately being shipped from Australia to because they're buying uh, in uh, China because they're buying in supermarkets aren't they they're buying in the chemist warehouse and they're buying milk powder in Woolies and Coles and and facial creams in wherever they can get them and and you'll get on a train every now and again, and I actually visually have seen this a couple of times, where young Chinese students are carrying white plastic bags that are nearly look as nearly as heavy as they are, and they're loaded full of all sorts of things. Now they'll go to a uh, to a company, and, uh, and there's a and there's a couple of companies. One's listed recently on the Australian Stock Exchange of all things, um, and and that company uh, they'll go to a place that'll package this stuff up in cardboard containers and whatever, and then and then arrange the logistics for them and they'll send it to wherever they were buying them for and uh, it's often family can be friends into China and then they're on sold into the marketplace there so it's really quite a big it's grown into an enormous industry because there's probably upwards of a hundred thousand of these 
of these Chinese students in in Australia at any given time, and and the Daigu now has captured the you know they're all aware of it, and they're all aware of what they can actually make in terms of dollars because the container of milk that powder that might have sold here for thirty thirty five dollars, they'll they'll sell there for seventy five to a hundred dollars. So, so you know, do, does this does this feel to you like uh, a permanent thing, or is just a a temporary something that's going to last for a while, and then it'll get all get organised and um, corporatised, and and won't keep going. Well, that was one of the things that I've always had a view about that. That this is the sort of thing that could stop overnight if the Chinese government changed the rules, and um, and they're able to do that. I mean, we should always remember that, the, that China is is a closed government uh, economy, and. Um, but they recently announced an extension for two years. They've had a review. The Chinese government were reviewing the um, some of the conditions of their uh, cross-border e-commerce sales, and they've extended by a couple of years the the the, the current arrangements, which is fantastic for um, you know for those companies who are already benefiting extensively from uh, from this this form. And companies, you've got to remember, Alan, that products that go into China in what's cross-border, they might, you know, they're, they're, they're sold over the internet. So the, the product isn't shipped to con- China in a container, which then goes to the port, which then the product has to be approved as a formal as a formal import. It, this is going, this, this, the name is, is accurate, it's cross-border, and it goes in under an e-commerce arrangement. So they might have a... They might have a package with 20 things in it. Now, that could be part of a, of a container load, of course. I mean, the, the, the logistical companies that send it up. But it's not a product that's going in in the traditional export import-export channels where you get export and import clearance, and it's got a licensing arrangement, and there's all sorts of things that that product has to comply with. And these guys don't need to get that clearance. And what the government set up there some months ago was that we're reviewing all that, and... Uh, and of course, that sent a shiver down the spine of companies for, for whom this has become a significant part of their production. You know, their sales into China. Of course, the scale—if you get the Daigu adopts your product—and there's a couple of really good examples. I'll mention one in a moment—and promote it through their own channels. And that takes care of your promotional expenses in China, and it also ramps up enormously your sales. I think Bellamy's milk powder might be one of the more outstanding examples of how that can build up and then can go wrong. Could they stop the Daigus if they wanted to in China? I mean, it sounds like... I mean, obviously, you think the Chinese government can stop anything they like, but this is this is pretty... Um, how can I put it? Decentralised, isn't it? I mean, it's not as if there's, there's some one mm. thing that they can actually uh, put a foot on. Cause, because I presume oh. a lot of the Daigus are sending their packages of stuff to individuals in China. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, I think their capacity to inspect product going into China is nearly endless, though, Alan. I mean, when they've they've got enormous resources, I think what the risk would be is that they could say products coming in through the what used to be called the Grey Channel. That's why we used to talk about it up through Hong Kong into the. And that's why the Guangdong Province, which is next door to Hong Kong, of course, is really the centre for the cross-border e-commerce stuff. Um, and that's why this association that they formed there is so strong already. But um, the government could announce that, you know, that, for example, I've got no basis for this, that they decide to have um, the same regulations applying to product coming in through the informal trade channel as they do through the formal uh, port of Shanghai, port of the Tianjin or whatever. And so you actually require, you know, product to meet the same sort of licensing, import licensing agreements. Now, if they did that, it would have a massive impact on the on the 
cross-border e-commerce. But uh, what the government has announced only recently is that they're extending for another two years the current arrangements, which was a real fillip. And I got a fair bit of publicity here, I think, a, a couple of weeks or certainly a week or so before I left to go to China. So it's just that you're dealing with a, the large customer that has a significant amount of control over the transaction and as much as it's a centralised government and they can change the rules if they want. All that being said, the Daegu represents, as it's currently structured, a massive opportunity for Australian companies to sell into the Chinese market and it overcomes one of the real challenges you've got when you do go into that market is how do you get your product recognised? How do you get known? I mean, where do you advertise? Well, there you have it. A lot of information to process and very interesting indeed. That was this week's Spotlight. I'm Alan Kohler for The Constant Investor. Have a great week.